10, 5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Belts, Avery for three, hits, cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Boba. Hey, a few weeks ago during the holidays, we had our good friend, former A-State baseball great Tyler Zuber in town, and we sat down and we recorded an interview with him, and we figured this week would be a great time to play that back. Coming Mm -hmm. up here in the next few minutes, we're going to have that interview with Tyler Zuber. Yeah, it was cool to get to visit with him, catch up first, but mostly get to do this for this platform too was neat. and uh, He was nice enough to come in one night and I was going to a men's game anyway, so he came up early and signed autographs for some fans. And uh, he has been his whole pro career in the Royals organization, but now he's in the Diamondbacks organization this year. So I'm looking forward to hearing all about that. Got the Tyler Zuber interview coming up. We also had a little bit of football scheduling news this past week. We'll talk about that later on in the program. But we'll start off with some A-State basketball. Week two of Sunbelt Conference play this past week. The men were on the Alabama swing. They started Thursday at South Alabama, a game in which they fell 63-45. to Omar El-Sheikh had his fourth straight double-double in this one. He finished with 18 points, 13 rebounds. Avery Feltz played well. He had 14 points, but... While those two shot a combined 12 for 23 from the field, the rest of the team was 4 for 35. Just not much going offensively. The 45 points and the team shoots 28% from the field, and unfortunately you're not going to win a whole lot of games that way. No, and I feel like the analysis of Thursday is going to just carry right over to talk about the Saturday game at Troy because I I do think that you know once – Coach Bellotto sort of got this roster crafted. And especially, I'd say, once you kind of had it crafted and then they lost Mac Manseal to the knee injury, who was somebody that they, they thought would come in and have an instant impact. And then once you got the roster crafted and Manseal got hurt and then you ended up going a big stretch without Caleb London, who I know is still he was getting back and played on Saturday. I say all that to say, I think we knew that when this men's team struggled – the struggle was going to be making shots. And Malcolm Farrington has and he, yeah, missed has a lot been, of time yeah, as well. Has been really in and out of the lineup. And with all that in play right now, it's been tough for this offense to get going, especially when it comes to shooting. And if you've got an off night from the field, it's going to be tough to win. You have to win with defense. You said, yeah, there, there's some similarities from Thursday to Saturday I actually had a much better feeling about the Troy game about halfway through at halftime it's 31 27 it's a four-point game and that's with Caleb Fields and Omar El Sheik in deep foul trouble in the first half another starter Isaiah Nelson was in deep foul trouble so you had three of your starters on the bench for a good portion of the first half and you're right there within striking distance unfortunately just never made it all the way back and Troy wins 66 to 54. Felt like the ULM game with just more points being scored instead of both teams really guarding each other pretty well it was both teams were hitting shots but you just like same premise in that 
always playing from behind and you'd get them reeled in and then they'd hit a couple shots and it'd go from 12 and you'd get it back to six or maybe four and it'd go back mm-hmm. to 10 it just always seemed you know a possession or so away for most of the game and again 54 points shot just 33 percent from the field credit troy they had a good game plan to take omar el sheik out of the game offensively omar was two of two from the field so he didn't get many shot attempts up he finished with five points and nine rebounds marquise davis did have his best game of the year and it's the first time this season he hasn't started he came in off the bench mm-hmm. and finished with his first career double double had 13 points and 11 rebounds I'm big marquise davis fan really not as a player but really just period a big marquise Good davis fan recent graduate of arkansas state university so like to see good things happen for him red wolves now nine and eight overall one and three in sunbelt play they'll begin a four-game homestand this week we'll talk more about that a little bit later on the women played a couple of games at home this past week a place where they really haven't been a whole lot Mm. this season took on one of the perennial powers in the league on thursday with troy in town red wolves were down just six at the half but troy ends up winning it 83 to 67 same sort of deal played from behind the whole first half hit a couple of shots late and got from down 12 to down six with the momentum even to start the third quarter it went from six to ten to six to ten to it just belong in there but the third quarter went off the rails because arkansas state refused to get a rebound and i'm not when i say that at one point in time the rebounds in the third quarter at one point in time was something in the neighborhood of 17 or 18 to 2. Troy ended up getting 20 rebounds in the third quarter. Now, they're the leading rebounding team in the country. They are the leading rebound. They, they lead offensive rebounds by four and a half. Four and a half more offensive rebounds than LSU, who's number two in the country. What a stat. It wasn't like Troy came in here and did something different than it does every day. It did not. I think the issue, and I know it was. I mean, I'm not saying anything Coach Destiny Rogers wouldn't tell you because she said it to me. This is one of those things I picked up from Brian Boyer over the years because he picked up from some coach that mentored him early in his career. A team within a game has got two things. There's the outcome and there's the performance. And those don't have to always be the same. Like, mm-hmm. right, you can play good and lose, and you can play bad and win. So outcome and performance don't always have to match up. They often do. Well, this is one time where, you know, you don't like the outcome because you don't want to lose. But it's worse to not like the outcome and then not like the performance to boot. And I think she did not like the performance of her team in this game against Troy. I think she felt like they were playing, playing just second home game in 40 days. You come in and let somebody play tougher than you, and I don't think that set well with the head coach. Annalise Griffin led the way in the losing effort. She had 22 points and 10 rebounds. And then on Saturday, Appalachian State was in town, and you know the Red Wolves dropped a heartbreaker in this one, 59-58, to and Izzy Higginbottom with 16 points, Lauren Pendleton with 13, coming out of a timeout. The Red Wolves had a chance to win it in the final seconds. And probably didn't get the shot they wanted in that situation. Look, the toughest thing I don't think was the issue here. I think they responded to probably a big-time challenge they got from their coaching staff on Friday. Here, it's funny because we were just talking about this with the men. The women went the last five minutes and ten seconds 
of the first quarter and the last about four minutes and 25 seconds of the fourth quarter mm-hmm. without a field goal. Those two stretches combined, that's nine and a half minutes of a 40-minute game. You didn't get a bucket, and you lost by one. So this team, like they've, they've got too many kids that can make shots to have that happen. So I, I've come in here week after week after week talking up this women's team, and I'm not changing my tune. I do think there's still some things they're working through. I told you Saturday is their 15th game, and it was their seventh different starting lineup in 15 games yeah. due to illness, injury, whatever the case is, different things. So I do think they're still sort of getting everybody's roles developed. But they're not, for whatever reason, they're not playing as well as they could play right now. This is a team. You go, you grab that roster, and you just look at everybody on that roster listed as a sophomore. And you say, that's a class you build around and win championships. And I still think that's going to be the case. But it's, there's just something out of whack a little bit right now. And now it's about to get tough because you're going on the road for the next two weeks. Hopefully they can figure it out over the course of these next couple of weeks. We'll talk about what's ahead for the A-State basketball teams a little bit later on. But when we come back, we'll be joined by A-State baseball great Tyler Zuber. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Back on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are pleased to be joined in studio now by a good friend of ours, one of our all-time favorites from A-State Baseball. It's Tyler Zuber. How you doing, Tyler? Oh, man, I can't complain. Just uh, back in Jonesboro, enjoying my time back up here, seeing all the the old faces and seeing the new faces, and uh, just, I don't know, I feel like a kid all over again. I feel like I'm a freshman. So this would be a pretty random, and it's bouncing around, but since you were here, and uh, you were here and you hung out with buddy Colton Kibler, who mm-hmm. we've had on this podcast, and he talked about his interest and how he specifically – uh, as a player, he came up with this plan that if I could ever help the program, the way he was going to do it was by building the home pitching staff a new bullpen. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to start there. Now, since you're a big leader and you've been in all kinds of bullpens, give me a scouting report on A-State's home bullpen to Kibler helped build. That's something I wish I had. I can tell you that much. Well, you didn't I, like warming up down the right field line, having to... Dodge. Watch that out was, for your life every time a God. ball was put in play. That was uh, that's scary. Those guys don't know how spoiled they really are. There's so many things that have happened down in that bullpen. The amount of butt chewings that we used to get sitting down there on that wooden bench. The amount of times that people in Barton's deck would tell us how much better they could pitch than us, and sometimes it was probably true. Uh, the amount of times that. You throw a breaking ball and you have to call time because the ball's out there in right field or the ball skips up over the fence behind them, thinking, oh, my gosh, this is a Division One collegiate pitcher and he can't even hit the catcher lane. Yeah, those dudes, they're spoiled. I, I wish I had that. Well, that's a big addition since you came to Arkansas State. And you came here in 2014, and mm-hmm. I remember you saw a lot of time as a true freshman. And I'm sure – 
when you think back to those days, you can kind of think of how much you've grown as a person, as a pitcher since then. But talk about, you know, just coming to Arkansas State and why you chose to come here in the first place. To tell you the truth, I didn't even know Arkansas State, like, was here until it was probably 2012. And I was starting to, like, kind of go through the whole, I don't know, maybe I do have a future in baseball. Like, I'm throwing mid-80s as a junior, touching, like, a little 88, 89 every now and again. I'm like, maybe this is something for me. Like, maybe I got a chance. So I started, like, looking up schools in Arkansas. Obviously, I knew of Arkansas. I knew of Central Arkansas. I knew of Arkansas Tech. Henderson State, like all the Division Twos and whatnot, but I had no idea that there was a school in the Northeast. So all of a sudden, I'm like, Arkansas State, and I'm like, heck, I'll let me send them an email, and I'll still give them all kinds of crap for it today. But I remember I sent my pitching coach at the time, Coach Dickinson. I sent him my video. I sent it to a million coaches, but I sent him a video, and all I heard was crickets. I didn't hear a word from him. So I said, okay, like hey, he's probably gets a million of these a day. So I go up to extra innings, and I have a good day there. And Coach Raffo comes up to me, and he said, hey, uh, we want you to hit, and we want you to be a third baseman for us. And I was like, really? I was like, okay. Um, I don't know if I knew that story. I was like, okay. But, Coach, I'm a pitcher. I pitch. And he's like, yeah, we know. But Because I went four for six. I mean, it wasn't like an impressive four for six. It was like a, a C&I single through the four hole, lazy line drive up the middle. It's like nothing was impressive. I remember he, he very adamant about, we want that stick in our lineup. And I was like, Coach, I'm telling you, I'm a pitcher. And he said, okay. So Coach Dickinson comes and watches me pitch. <laughs> and I'll still give him crap about it. I'll be like, Coach, like, why haven't you watched my video yet? Like It still says unread, still. So he came and watched me pitch, and I think we were facing some guy that was like 75 to 80. And I went 0 for 3 with two strikeouts and a pop-up. And uh, he called me afterwards. He's like, I think we want you to pitch. And I was like, okay, yeah. So when I come on my visit, I was like, man, like they had an itinerary for me. They showed me everything, explained like this is this academics building. This is this academics building. This is our academic coordinator. She basically is in charge of making sure you're eligible. Here's the weight room. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This was the old, old weight room, the football field. And this was before they did anything over there. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is magnificent. And I saw the baseball field and I was like, this is awesome. And I saw the wind blowing in immediate. I want it. <laughs> yeah, pitchers tend to like that a lot more than the hitters do. <laughs> and then I saw the dimensions, and I was like, man, I just – the coaches made me feel at home. They were real easy to talk to. It was just everything about it just felt – it just something just felt right about it. And I was like, you know what? I said, just give me a week just to think on it. And I think it was like two or three days into it, and I was like, there's no more thinking I need to do on this. Like, Arkansas State's where I need to go. So, But even as a high school guy, you considered yourself a, a pitcher that could – play a position and hit if he needed to you were a pitcher first in your own mind no doubt i position wise we'll use that term loosely i preferred to hit and pitch <laughs> ideally that was all hit i wanted to do that's all i wanted to do in high school i remember my senior year i hit i was hitting well and uh i think i shoot i think i had 18 or 19 errors i mean it was ridiculous <laughs> it was horrible so I would pitch the big whatever the biggest game was that week. I'd pitch if it was on Tuesday. I pitched on Tuesday, and uh, Thursday'd roll around and he'd say, "You know, we gotta have you in the lineup." And I was like, "Ah, feeling a little sore today. Arms kind of hanging. Can I just DH today?" He's like, "All right, you'll be our DH today." I'm like, "Perfect." I tried to avoid go out in the field as much as possible. I was a liability in the field. I can't lie about it. 
So you had a great career here, mm-hmm. 20 and 9, third most wins in program history, despite you really not being a starter that often in the course of your career. You primarily came out of the pen. 12 saves were second most in school history. I mentioned that you really had a, a nice freshman season, had an ERA at 2.34, then as a sophomore, won seven games. And in that sophomore season, I've called so many games over the years, and I know Brad's in this category too, it's hard to remember a lot of particular games. But there was a game in that 15 season that I remember like it was yesterday, and it's one of my all-time favorites. In fact, I, I brought it up with Colton Kibler. Mm-hmm. When he was in here, because he was part of this game, too. But it was the opener at Georgia Southern. Mm-hmm. It's and funny. I just mentioned that to her. I said, I got, I'm holding one of the school records for most strikeouts. Well, and this game was just amazing because it was the Friday night game. Mm-hmm. And you struck out the first 11 batters that you faced that night. I'd never seen anything like that. <laughs> And you ended up striking out 13 over 7, and then the game ended up going 13 innings. And the Red Wolves won 3-1, to one, but Colton Lee and Colton Kibler came in after you, ended up with the school record 21 strikeouts as a team that night. And what was funny was Kibler came in here, and we talked about it, and he's like, well, I don't even remember that game. Do you remember that game? I remember like every single strikeout. I remember throwing some pitches, throwing some breaking balls, and Stewart was catching, and he was catching them right down the middle. And for some reason, they just, it was like they had a hole in their bat. I don't know how they missed some of these pitches because when I visualize it and I can see it, I'm like, that ball should have hit, been hit 450. <laughs> and then I remember I had struck out, it was the first three, and then I come back out for the second inning. And the first guy, I believe he was either, he was either the catcher. There was a third baseman. He had no batting gloves on, and I had him down 0-2 or 1-2, and I shook off whatever Stu put down. I think he shook. I think he put breaking ball, and I shook off because I wanted a fastball. Leaked over the middle, and he hit me. He got me for a home run, and I proceeded to strike out, 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 strike out. I was like, if we lose this game one to nothing because I shook off, I am going to be very, very upset because I shook off. And I should have stuck with what I want, what I should have thrown was a breaking ball, but yeah, I, that game I remember. Oh gosh, that was one of the funnest games. Are you like that though? I mean, there's guys that that can go back and recall any pitch of any game, I guess. Mm-hmm. But can you go back and for the most part remember most games that you pitched in? Yeah, there's some like obviously there's some games it's like I don't really remember quite remember that one but like kind of like the bigger so-called the bigger games I can pretty much remember like I'd say 90 percent of it like I remember the game I threw in in uh my freshman year we were at South Alabama facing Troy and it was like the ninth inning and we had like that suicide there was like a, a play between third and I had to tag the guy out I finished out that inning otherwise they would have walked us off and me and that other freshman, his last name was Skinner, I believe. It was like a battle between me and him. We were going back and forth, like five-plus innings of relief I as a freshman. vaguely remember we that. Both, we both were freshmen, and it was just like back and forth. It was like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And it was like Coach D would keep coming over to me. He'd be like, how you doing? I'm like, fine. I'll keep going. Like I don't care. 
So we just kept going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was like, I remember that game like it was yesterday. I remember giving up the base hit, and I thought, oh, no. I'm like, well, there it goes. That just cost us the game. That's how, like, I would put that kind of pressure on myself. Is like, I, I cost us the game. Then there's some games I don't uh, that I remember that I sh- probably shouldn't. Like, that you'd like to forget. Yeah, like South Alabama hitting me for 10-plus. Me and Drew talk about those games quite often. He said, he said, Zooms, he said, I'm going to be honest. I've looked at your numbers, and you take South Alabama, all of your South Alabama games in four years, you take them off, and I, I mean, I probably got a sub-2 ERA at Arkansas State. <laughs> you take four games against South Alabama off of my record, I've got a sub-2 ERA. So I would believe that. Yeah, but you talk about you recruited Arkansas State as much as it recruited you, so you know, a little bit from that standpoint, unheralded. You just sort of go about your work uh, over the course of your career. Even when you were the, the Friday night guy, you were never the one that the people around the league necessarily were all you know throwing all the praise at. Just kind of went about your business, and all of a sudden, you know, you look down, as I did when I knew you were coming to town, and you're top four in program history in appearances. You threw 89 games at Arkansas State. Those 20 wins are top four, second all-time in strikeouts, top four in saves, too. So every category, you're right there among the top in the history of the program. So now that it's been a minute, you can look back, kind of what's that mean? I look back, and I'm like, why in the world could I not struck out more people my freshman year? I could have gave Jacob Lee a little bit better running. Because it wasn't until my senior year when all of a sudden the strikeouts started coming. And then, like, I had no idea about any of these records. Had no idea, didn't care, just wanted to make a regional. That's all I wanted. That's all I care about. Give me a ring. That's all I want. It wasn't until my senior year, and all of a sudden I was racking up some strikeouts, and I was like, wait a minute, there's a couple tweets that come out that were like, Tyler Zuber's whatever, three away from jumping to second on the record. And I was like, how far am I away from first? And they're like, oh, you're like 20-something. I'm like, hmm. stupid freshman year, man. If I would have just struck out just a few more guys my freshman year, it might have been like we could have been, we could have had it. Could have maybe lobbied Coach Raffo a little bit more. Like, come on, Coach, let me, let me throw another one. Let me throw another one. I got it. I can do it. I mentioned that you had a, a really good freshman year, really solid sophomore season, but I know you weren't mm, very happy was... with the way you pitched as a junior. You were 5-3 and three that year, but the ERA mm. was higher that year than the others. Mm-hmm. So what happened that season when you look back on it, and what did you change going forward? You had a phenomenal senior year, but you know how did what happened that junior year help you get better going forward? Obviously – had a really good freshman year, good sophomore year, and I kind of put myself on the map as like I got a chance to play professionally. I was more worried about well, when am, like when am I going? When am I going? What about this? What about that? And they're like, well, I had heard some rumors like anywhere from five to twenty, and I'm like, oh gosh, like we're talking good money, like oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm gonna make a lot of money, I'm gonna make good money, blah 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 blah. Well, I was more worried about who was sitting in the stands than worried about getting guys out at the plate. I was more worried about yeah, man, I, I got I got clipped for, for eight runs today, but there's 20 scouts in the stands. Looking back at it, I was like, man, like if I was on that team, like if I was looking at myself, I'd have punched myself right in the nose. Like I was a horrible teammate. It was just – it was not good. I got a reality check from Coach Raffo at the end. He was like – he said, you were not a good teammate. And I was like, 
you're right. Like I wasn't like I looking back at it. I was like, man, like I really was like I isolated myself because I was so focused on me, 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 me. And I had never been like that. And all of a sudden I turned into a me, me, me. And I'm like, this is not me. So I go to summer ball and I'm like, coach was like, that's my challenge for you is basically develop back into a team guy. So I went to summer ball and that was my whole goal was the guys want to do something like I'm going like I want to be involved like I want to like I want to be a, a faucet not a drain. So I do that and I was like man like my numbers weren't good but like I built relationships with guys and like I felt that team bond come mm-hmm. back and I was like man like okay like I'm taking that back to Arkansas State. So I went back to Arkansas State same thing like went back there started feeling that connection all over again it felt great like I was like oh finally okay I got that back I needed to make a change because what separates me throwing 89 to 91 touching 92 from the other guy at the other school like there's nothing that separates us like we're both Mm -hmm. 89 92 I'm a senior he's a senior I have to put up numbers so then I was like well I need to do something to uh increase my velocity so did some tra- different training different mechanical adjustments and the rest is history then well, kind of what a message if you get a chance to talk with younger players to give them a real world example that you just said the the one season in your whole life you ever kind of weren't thinking about the team first turned out being the worst season you had i mean that's facts i mean the game will humble you in ways that you can never imagine. There will be ways that this game takes you and like, all right, we're going to build you up. We're going to make it where you look like you're about to ride off into the sunset and you're going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden, it's going to chop you down and it's going to basically see what kind of man you are at that point. Because, I mean, I very easily could have just folded up and just be like, man, screw this. I'm done. I'm hanging it up. I'm quitting. Like, this baseball thing ain't for me. I realized it too. Like, I felt like, you know what? That wasn't like... I was very selfish. Mm. You're one of my favorite student athletes that I've ever been around and, and watching. I always appreciated the player you were, the person you are now. And your story, as you're telling that, is really reminiscent of Todd Baumgartner's because, and I don't know how much you and Todd have talked about this, but, you know, he kind of tells a similar story about his junior season and what happened there and ended up changing his whole life when he came back for his senior season how much that junior campaign kind of humbled him and gave him a whole new perspective on things it's crazy how the game it's a kid's game baseball is a kid's game it teaches you life lessons and it shows you things about yourself that you don't see for so long and then all of a sudden it's just like the sun it's just clear as day you're like that is it. That's been my problem this whole time. And it's been literally writing on the wall. I just haven't been able to see it. Baseball has taught me so Mm -hmm. much and it's made me appreciative. Uh, It's made me like a better man for it. And I tell people all the time too, they're like, man, like why didn't you get drafted as a junior? I'm like, because I sucked. And I said, to be honest, (laughs) I said, I sucked. And I said, had I got drafted my junior year, because I still, I was in summer ball and I still had three or four teams that called me and said, Hey, we want to sign you. How much will it take? And I was still had that selfish mindset. I'm like, give me fifty thousand, and I was like, actually, you know what? Give me forty. You know what? You give me thirty thousand dollars, and I'll sign. And I was like, okay, it's thirty. Guys, text me. You going thirty to fortieth round? I'm like, okay, deal. He said thirty five to forty. I'm like, I'm about to get drafted. I'm I'm piecing out. I'm gone. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't need that. 
had I gotten drafted then, I would have been selling real estate. I'd have been doing something, selling insurance, being a police officer. I'd have done something else because I wouldn't have played baseball but maybe a year or two years. Mm. Like, I, there's no doubt in my mind. Your senior year, you come back. You go 6-1, and one, ERA at 2.06. You had six saves that season. And following that year, you end up being the highest draft pick in A-State history, a sixth-rounder by the Royals. What does that mean to you? You're, you're the highest draft pick in the history of the program. I'm just very thankful for it, to be honest. You know, I'm very thankful that Coach Raffo kind of opened up my eyes whenever he did about the whole teammate deal. Um, and then, you know, just kind of putting my nose back down and going to work. And re- it, a lot of it, too, was like, I guess, a little bit was like kind of maturity and growth and realizing there's nothing that separates me right now from someone else. Like, I, I need to do something different for my career. Like, I need to do something that makes me take another step forward that sepa- that's now is a, that separator. You know, and then to have the, the title as the highest draft pick, like, that's something – I was just telling her at lunch, I was like, I'm going to be honest, like having the highest draft pick means way more than having a record. To me, I don't know, it's just like a token of like hard work, dedication, and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, I'm thankful for it. Because had I not gone to Arkansas State, I probably wouldn't be here either. I probably wouldn't have gotten drafted. I don't know. May not have made it to the big leagues. I don't know. So you were talking about going into your junior year. They were talking about somewhere 5 and 20 or whatever. This, of course, the draft is shorter now mm-hmm. than it was then. It's this marathon thing. Mm-hmm. So, are you even following the draft once in the sixth round? Did you? How do you know you're coming, or did it just catch you off guard? Well, I was told that in the fall, like before the season even started, like we hadn't even had the yeah. first fall practice, and I was like, five to twenty. I'm like, okay, let me look up fifth round money. Like, how much did that guy sign for? And I'm like looking up all that stuff, and I'm like, looking at my, like I can I can see myself doing that and like constantly worried about like texting people i'm like and what in the world was i doing like so, how dumb do you have to be spend that thing forward a year then and tell me your actual draft day i mean what what huh. were you doing that day like when you so or how do you find out you're a six-round draft choice um okay so obviously there's day one is first and second round and some guys that i played summer ball with the previous summer had unbelievable summers and unbelievable years, and I knew that they were going to get drafted. So, obviously, I'm keeping up with them because now I feel like I'm invested. I'm like, the year before, I wasn't watching the draft. I was so mad because I wasn't. It's crazy. Like, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't getting drafted, so I'm like, I ain't watching. Like, screw the draft. I'm like, <laughs> like that's just so – it just it makes me makes my skin curl. So, I'm watching the draft, and I just saw one of my buddies gets drafted second round. I'm like, holy smokes, like, this is awesome. So I wake, so I stay up super late because I know that the draft is going to start at like 12 the next day, and that's rounds 3 to 10. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to stay up super late. I'm going to sleep in, and I'm going to sleep in to like 11, 30, 12, basically wake up and go straight to the iPad and watch the draft because today is what the day I've heard is the day that I'll go for, you know, senior sign and whatnot. My phone, sitting on my bed, my phone starts buzzing at 8 o'clock. I mean, keep in mind, I've gotten about five or six hours of sleep at this point. So I'm, who is this? Like, hello? I'm like, hey, this is so-and-so with the with the Reds. You know, we, we just want to make sure, like, are you still good to go today? I'm like, yeah, I am. Okay, hey, just stay by your phone. We got you 7 to 10. I'm like, all right, perfect. Thank you, bye. Hang up the phone. Try to go back to sleep. Oh, my gosh. Today's the day. 
No, I'm at, it's eight o'clock in the morning now. I'm like, what in the world am I supposed to do? I, I don't know how you can go back to sleep. Yeah, after and that's a exactly call my like thoughts. So then all of a sudden, another team calls, another team calls, another. I had about ten teams call me and basically say, "Today's the day. Get ready." So my dad was working that day. Well, I turned the iPad on at twelve, like I thought. Well, it was twelve o'clock Eastern. So the draft one, we're already almost into the fourth round. I'm like, huh, perfect, no problem. Now we're here. We go. We're zooming by. My mom's sitting by the computer. She's doing her little thing. She's just basically waiting. My dad is on patrol. So I get a call. They took a break after the fifth round. I get a call from the Royals that said, hey, to me it was between the Royals and the Mariners. And the Royals call and they said, hey, we're thinking about taking you sixth, seventh, eighth round. Like those are those three that we're thinking about. I said, okay, no problem. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be waiting. I ain't doing anything. <laughs> so I call my dad. And uh, so here he comes driving in. He calls in, basically says, you know, someone watch over me. My son might get drafted. I mean, I haven't even opened up the door, and all of a sudden the Royals are calling again. I'm like, oh, gosh, what happened now? And he said, hey, this is so. This is the scouting director with the Royals. I'm here to personally tell you you're going in the sixth round. And I thought, what round are we in? He said, we're about to start the sixth. I said, what pick? He said, you got 18 picks. How long is that? About 10, 15 minutes. You said sixth. <laughs> like, y'all are about to draft me in like 18 picks. Yes, sir, Tyler. Like y'all are y'all like, y'all ain't lying to me, are you? Like y'all being serious? And he's like, yes. He said, okay, bye. Hung up the phone. Gone. Called my dad. Dad, you gotta hurry up and get home. Mom, it's about to happen. So now we're sitting there by the iPad. We're all videoing it. I get a text message. Get your phone ready. Get your camera ready. And I still I still got the video. I've watched it several times. So I watch it, and boom! They said we draft Tyler Zuber. Now like I'm trying to video MLB. All the analysts or whatnot, they're kind of giving like a breakdown of who I am, my scouting report, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, well, we'll see what they say about me. And about that time, phone starts buzzing. So I'm in the front yard. My dad's in the backyard. My mom is inside, and we're all on the phone. As soon as one phone call rings, another one, another one. I mean, text message after text message. It was t- three hours after the draft, after my name got called, before we finally were like, now we can hug as a family and say we made it, like we did it. <laughs> Oh, I'm getting chills just thinking about that day. <laughs> what a day. This is 2017. Mm-hmm. And then the journey begins mm-hmm. as you try to make your way to the major leagues. And from 2017 up until that 2020 season, obviously you're working your way up through the minor leagues. Did you always feel during that time that it was going to happen for you, that you were going to make the big club? After 2017, I thought, like, I'm dominating. Like, I got called up. Like, I think I got a pretty good chance. Like, I think this baseball thing might work out. 2018 season, there was some struggle. And I was like, I'm a senior sign. They don't have much invested in me. I'm 93, 95. I had an average year. I need to do something coming into next spring training that basically is like, he did, like, he's improved. So, I again, did some more different workout, different mechanical stuff, and basically improved again. And in 2019, I was like, like kind of eye-opening for my own self. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, I just dominated high, and then I just dominated double A. And then they said, well, we want you to go play in the Dominican. We want you to go play winter ball. So I go down there, and I dominate down there, and I'm like, I'm a big leaguer. Like, in my head at this point, I'm thinking I'm a big leaguer. Like, I need to be up there. Like, I need to get up there and basically prove to myself, like, that what I'm thinking is right. And in 2020 comes along and we're rolling through spring training 
and I'm looking at the locker room and everything's full in Major League Camp. And all of a sudden, there's two weeks left until season starts, and there's like half of us in there left. And I'm like, maybe I got a chance. And all of a sudden, five more guys get cut. Like three more guys get cut. And then COVID. And I'm like, oh, no way. <laughs> Momentum was just – I was steamrolling. And I've been told by four or five people, they were like, you were making the club. Like, you were on you were on the opening day roster. They said you were like – basically, all you had to do was you get injured. That was the only way you weren't making the club. And I was like, you're kidding. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That was eye-opening to me. And then, obviously, 2020 happened. I get told I'm breaking with the club. Of course, he also in this, but he he talked about these different steps along the way where he had to do something to separate himself in college, and at one point in his pro career, he had to do something to separate himself. And then he gets up at the big league club, and if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, like right, Mike Matheny's walking around, you just magically start throwing a change up. Pitch. I found it in the Target parking lot. I guess I have no <laughs> idea. Like I, I'm not kidding you. Like I threw it every off season. I would change up. Like here you go, George. Like double in the gap. Here's a change up, Stu with no one in the box, and all of a sudden he's like, man, that pitch is nasty. George steps in the box, home run. I'm like, nasty? Like, you, are you seeing the results here? Like, So I go to Arizona. Again, every spring training I'd practice it, and they're like, that pitch is gross, man. I throw it in the game, same thing. It'd get tattooed. I'm like, listen, man, I'm not throwing this ball. Like, I don't care what you guys say. Everyone keeps telling me how good this pitch is. It keeps getting tattooed. I don't throw it for an offseason. I come into spring training, you know, like, hey – you know, fastball change-ups, throw those today. I'll throw a change-up, and it was good. And I turn around and look, and they're like, what was that? And I said, change-up? They're like, throw that again. Same thing. Boom. Throw it again. Are you kidding me? So they're like, you got a live in two days. Throw it in that. So I throw it in that against a couple. They stacked a bunch of lefties against me. Throw it to them. Bunch of swing and misses. And they were like, Matheny, I remember he come up, and he walked up, and he stood on the mound. He crossed his arms. He said, Pretty nice pitch, son. Thank you. And he's like, how long have you been throwing it? I said, what's today? <laughs> and he said, and he was like, I bought it by February 20th. And I was like, February 13th is when I started. He said, you're kidding. I said, I don't know where in the world this pitch come from. I'm not kidding you. I haven't been able to ever throw it. And then all of a sudden he said, you're going to throw that. You're going to throw that a lot. My big league debut. If you would have told me, you said, Tyler, you're going to make your debut. And the second batter that you face is going to be Jose Ramirez, and you're going to throw him a changeup, and you're going to get him out on a changeup, but you've never thrown a changeup in a game. I'd say, I'd have called you a liar. <laughs> I broke his bat. Broke his bat on it. I was like, what in the world? Got Carlos Santana to swing and miss on it. Teammates with him the next year, he said, bro, your changeup, really good, really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to that day, July 24th. 2020 your big league debut and you know i want to hear about the moment taking the mound for the first time but you mentioned this is the covid season Mm -hmm. there aren't any fans Mm -hmm. in the stands so cutouts what's it like in front of all those cutouts making that major league debut the moment you dreamt for very weird because you had the automated crowd noise and whatnot so it's like it's not the same like you can't like can't get your adrenaline quite as flowing as like normally you see fans yelling, cussing at you, all that stuff. But then whenever I'm running out from, you know, I'm standing up, sitting up in the bullpen, everyone's up and stretching. I've got my hoodie on, feet crossed, sitting there on the bench. 
look over to the phone, and uh, pitching coach says, Zuber, you're in the game. I'm like, in the game? It's the eighth. It's a two to nothing. Oh, gosh. I'm like, whatever. Start throwing in the bullpen. Everything's coming out good. So my heart rate's still, my heart rate's going good from just warming up. So I run out there on the mound. They're playing God Bless America. And I'm like, great. No idea what to do. Do I stop in the middle of the outfield and then have to <laughs> run in afterward, or do I keep jogging in? So I like kind of like slow paced jog. I take my hat off. If you look at me, I look like Forrest Gump. I'm like, I'm like trying to look, look and I'm like, and the the guys in the infield are like, come, like, like you're fine, like keep coming. I'm like, okay. So then I'm like, what do I do with my hat? Like, do I put my hat on? I'm like, I'm just gonna put my hat on. And they're like, take your hat off. Turn around. I'm like, so I'm like looking at it. And all of a sudden, my heart rate, like normally I when I stop, I can get it to calm down a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's going faster. And I'm like, I'm about to make my big league debut. I'm about to make my big league debut. Oh, my God. Then all of a sudden, all these emotions start rolling through my head, and I'm like freaking out. And I'm like, okay, you're fine. I remember my first pitch I threw to Salvian warm-ups. I thought, I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. I thought, I'm throwing a million there ain't no way anybody's touching me today. I am throwing so hard that I'm like, huh, the, I feel bad for these hitters. I feel bad for Salvi. His hand's going to be hurting after this. First batter I throw a curveball to. I think that was probably smart of Salvi to call a curveball because had he th- called a fastball, it probably would have went to the backstop. <laughs> and he hits it to first base, and now i got to cover first. And I'm, all right, Now I'm like, oh, gosh, don't trip over your feet, please. Don't do something dumb. I kicked myself, but I, I wasn't even thinking about it at the time, but I didn't even get my first ball. Because normally, you know, like yeah. you throw a first pitch and they take it or whatever, and then you throw it out. I didn't even get that one. Huh. And I was like, oh, oh, well, no matter to me. So what ones have you kept? I got a ball from that outing. It was after my – Oh, you finished after, the game, right? Yeah. It was after my second inning. I got I got that ball. I got my first strikeout, but to be honest, I didn't really want my first strikeout because I gave up a three-run home run, and three, it was like three days later I gave up a three-run home run in Detroit, and then I struck out the next guy, and I was like, I don't want that ball. Are you kidding me? First <laughs> strikeout? Like That's the last thing on my mind is give me the ball. Like I don't want that crap. Uh, and I got my first win. I do have my first win ball. Those are the three that I have. So that was a shortened season. What would you play, 60 games 60. that year? And you pitched in 23 of them. Mm-hmm in 2020 and then 2021 you pitched in 31 more games and went back and forth between the big club and triple a and then last year i know had to be a little bit frustrating dealing with injuries so it happened in 2021 but i you know i I didn't really know what in the world happened i just thought it was like a stinger pitched on it all year but constantly dealt with pain so i go out to arizona in 2022 after we got married and I'm trying to stay ready during the lockout. And now my shoulder is affecting me on my day-to-day stuff. And I uh, can't sleep at night anymore. And I'm like, you know what? Like, this is annoying. I've dealt with it now for over a year. I got to say something now. So I finally say something, get a couple anti-inflammatory shots, kind of get it under control. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I feel so good now. So then I finally start to play catch again. And I'm like, huh. This feels amazing. Like I can't wait to get back. Get be now. Be healthy. So then we're rolling into May, playing catch, and I'm like, man, like something just feels like it's just not right. Mm-hmm. So I get on the mound, doing like a little flat ground, a little sh- like short box session, and I'm trying to throw it, and I'm like, it's back. It's hurting again. Like I and I, I didn't do anything different. 
Uh, still been doing the same stuff, but I didn't do anything different. Uh, it just it the inflammation and whatnot come back. So then I fly to Kansas City, get an MRI, and then I fly to Texas and get an MRI. And basically the doctor was like, well, you got several options here. You know, we can do another shot, rest, throw through it, or surgery. And I was like, Doc, I'm going to be honest. I've done three of the four. The only one I haven't done, surgery. And I was like, I can't. Like, it's hurting to sleep. It's hurting to just to do day-to-day things. I'm like, I like, let's do something. Like, let's do surgery. So he showed me the surgery and – the rest is history now. Now, if, uh, he basically said he changed my tires and my shoulder. So you're good to go. On the road to being good to go. <laughs> About four and a half more months. All right. So the news came late October, was it? The, the Diamondbacks mm-hmm. had picked you up off waivers. So mm-hmm. in Arizona, I know you're excited about that. It was crazy. We actually, our lease and on the rent house that we were renting was up on the 31st of October. And it was around end of October-ish, like October 20-something. And uh, I get told, like, we're trying to figure out a place to live in Surprise, Arizona again. The lady basically says, yeah, like, we found you a house. Like, we're about to sign the papers to move to another rent house. I get a phone call that says, hey, the Diamondbacks picked you up. I'm like, okay. And then they said, all right, well, you know, we got your hotel set up and all that in Scottsdale. I'm like, well, it's a blessing in disguise. Like, now we don't, there's no reason to be freaking out about a place to live now. So we head over to Scottsdale, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm nervous now. I'm like, about to meet a whole lot. I'm the brand-new fish in a big sea all over again. I don't know anybody, but they were real welcoming. It's awesome to, you know, be back in Arizona, like get to stay in Arizona and not have to worry about, mm-hmm. well, I'm here, the big league club's over here. No, it's like the big league club's here, the spring training place is here, everything, like, everything is in Arizona. So that was one of the better situations that we could have ever asked for. In a pretty short career, you've dealt with some goofy stuff. Make your debut in a COVID season. You've mm-hmm. had to sit through a work stoppage. And now you're changing teams and an injury. I mean, like you're punching the, the career bingo card. You've you got a lot of, you got about, a lot of I'm spots. Al- I'm almost to the point where I can say bingo. <laughs> you got to be. <laughs> I don't know what else there is that, that I got left, but um, I'm sure there's a couple more that I'll probably notch. If, if there's somebody out there that can notch a full – bingo it's me just I, I know we're starting to wind down but you mentioned how the heart's going in that first at bat and you you mentioned a couple of guys you got out on certain pitches but like if anybody else you faced we're like and, and you're a pro and so you're just doing your job but after the fact have you had a holy cow i just faced this guy miguel moment? cabrera yeah i gave up a home run to christian stewart and so i was already upset about that and so i'm like walking around the mound I'm like rubbing the ball down I'm like angrily rubbing the ball down and then they said now batting number 24 Miguel Cabrera and I'm like god just sit. Miguel Cabrera I watched this dude when he was 19 years old playing for the Florida Marlins not Miami Marlins Florida Marlins and I'm like oh my gosh and so afterwards I I think we we went back to Detroit later on so what I started was like basically trying to find a person on each team hit him up and try to get something signed from him. And so he was one of them. I was like, hey, man, like, and I was like, man, like, there ain't no way this dude's going to respond to me. I was like, it's just kind of like a shot in the dark. And I said, hey, man, like, if I send a ball over through the club, he's like, do you mind signing it? I said, you know, I've watched you ever since you were 19. You know, it's amazing now that I'm competing against you. He said, yeah, bro. He said, no problem at all. 
Awesome. I, I gotta find. I gotta find a bucket. I gotta find a bucket of balls and send them over. So I sent him a ball and, you know, sent him a big, huge thank you and whatnot. And he kind of like he gave me like a tip of the cap the next time I faced him as like kind of like a like you're welcome. And I was like, this is the first bout Hall of Famer just tipped his cap to me. I'm like, mm. oh, I feel like I'm a legend. And then so we get back to Kansas City. He sends me another message. And I'm like, why in the world is Miguel Cabrera DMing me again? And he said, did you get the bat too? And I'm like, what are you talking about a bat? He sent me a bat, signed bat, a little personalized message, and I thought, wow. this this thing is I'm going to cherish this for the rest of my life. This is amazing. And you've done this with other players too. So now? I got him, did it with like five of the guys on the Royals. So Nelson Cruz, I got a bat from him and a ball from him. Yadi, All right, I got two from Yachty, Tory Hunter, same hometown and whatnot. Yeah, Nolan Ryan. That's a good one. I had to work. <laughs> I had to work. I had to work to get that one a little bit, but I got it. I really wanted to get Albert Pujols before he retired, so I had to find some strings to pull to get that one. But I'll, I'll work to get. So that you did one. not face him no. as an angel. No. So 2021, he was with the Angels, and I got called back up. I got to face. Did you face Trout? I did not. I was two batters. Otani was on deck. No. Oh. And I struck out <laughs> Fletcher. It was going to be Otani, Trout, and then Pujols. And I thought, I need to get, wow. I need to get this guy out like now. It's time to get out of the game. Like, it, there's a runner at second base, two outs, we're up by eight. But I need this guy to get out like now. And I was like, this is something, like, this is something serious. I'm sure you're not the only one to have that thought. So we so when I was facing Nelson Cruz, it was a doubleheader, and I gave up the second hardest ball hit in the big leagues in 2020s, 114.5. <laughs> so that's a rec, almost almost a record, but it's 114.5, and it's, he hit it, and the ball hit the third deck, and I was like, they joked with me afterwards, they were like, hey, did you get the bill from the Twins? You know, the dang near broke the rafters, so they're gonna have to need construction. I was like, how huh, real funny. So after the game, you know. I'm like looking in my locker because the game before, the day before, I messaged him to get a ball, and he said, "Yeah, no problem." So I look in my locker, and there's a bat sitting in my chair, and I'm like, "A oh, position player just left their bat." And I like looked, and it was from Nelson Cruz, and I was like, "This sorry joker." It was dented. This sorry joker <laughs> hit a home run off of me, signed the bat, and then sent it over, and I thought. He's getting one in the ribs. <laughs> Thankfully, I was like, surely he's not like that. But it was a brand new bat, and I held it, and I thought. And no wonder he Now, if he ball. would have signed it and said 114.5 on it. <laughs> and he, uh, said, I <laughs> he said, thanks. <laughs> Listen, but hey, people are listening to this too. Because I did want to ask, it's about a mentality thing. Because if you're a reliever, like, right, it, it's going to be, it might be a guy. It might be an inning. You've shown you can go more than one. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you give up a run, mm -hmm. I would think, do you, don't, don't you have to kind of, not ever look at your ERA because one swing of the bat's going to screw with your ERA. It might take you two weeks to get it worked back down. We always joke about that and uh, talk about it like, man, like when things are going good, like, like you want to see your ERA, but and you'll never be able to see it for some reason. It's like it can be in huge letters on the scoreboard, but you can't ever find it. <laughs> and it's like, man, like I just want to see that sub two ERA. I just like look at those numbers, man. <laughs> 
<laughs> but on the flip side, when things are not going good, it seems like they have, have it on the ticker running across. Like, <laughs> Zuber's ERA is this. He just gave up his 59th run in 20 innings. Like, it's just something just outlandish, and you're like, I can't run from that. Like, I literally can't run from that. So, like, basically, whenever you get to a stadium, you look at the starter's ERA. Like, you find where his is, and you're like, okay, where is it at? Like, don't look over there. That's the location. <laughs> Unless you give up, like you give up a home run or like a fly ball over there, you can look. But other than that, they're like, okay, right center can't look in right center. You look everywhere else. Do want to mention who's in studio with mm-hmm. you? And you've referenced her a couple of times. Your wife Ashton is here. Yes, my wife Ashton. She is here. So now uh, I no longer travel alone. I no longer do things alone. She is my better half. She does everything with me. So we'll be. She's my travel partner. My nurse, my my supporter, my backbone, the reason why I can do anything. So, well, I will say it's with her in here because she may not know, but Zub's a good sport here because never in my kind of broadcast career did I think I'd be able. I never thought I would give a professional athlete grief on the air about when they went Facebook official with their relationship status. But I did that exact thing one time on the radio with her boy Zuber because I said, who goes out at Christmas time and says they're in a relationship? This guy does. And look, now they're married. I remember. So I take it back. I remember when Bobo <laughs> said that. It's like, I think it was right after uh, right after Thanksgiving. You knew he, it was serious at that point. Yeah, but he, te- he texted me. I mean, it wasn't. it hadn't been up 30 seconds. And all of a sudden, I get a text from Bobo that said, have you lost your mind going Facebook official, dating somebody before Christmas? You got to at least wait till after Valentine's Day. <laughs> I was like, huh. That's good. Uh, and she likes the whole McConaughey thing you got going now? She's the one that told me to grow it out. She All said, right. She don't, she don't like the short hair. She said, you'll never have short hair another day in your life. I said, okay. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I, I'm a quick learner. It's been fun, man. Sure yeah. has. Oh, yeah. Appreciate you coming by. It's of great course. to see you. Good Always. luck this year. And we're D-backs fans now. So. Yeah, of course. Thank you. That's right. Load us up with gear next time you come in. That's the plan. Yeah, I don't even have enough gear. I don't even have enough gear to fit myself right now. I'm having to wear some some black shorts, but uh, that's the plan. Well, he was this way with the Royals, even in the American League, but now the National League team. That means we'll see him coming to St. Louis. Yeah, I done been told to by some St. Louis fans. You're like, well, hate you're in the National League. Just. uh, don't do too well against the Cardinals. I'm like, gee, thanks. You're a real true fan of me. I appreciate it. Well, that's the thing with this new schedule, though. It doesn't matter which league you're in. No. You get to play every everybody team in the majors. Everybody's in the travel. I'm kind of curious on how they're going to do the travel. Like, because think about I me. Mean, you go to if you're in Seattle, all right. You got a seven o'clock game in Seattle. That's ten o'clock, mm-hmm. eleven o'clock in New York. That side of the world, and say. You've got a 10-game road trip, and you got to go from Seattle to New York. Well, you play a game at 7, ends at 11. Now you got to fly to New York. You don't get in until dang near 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. Then it's like, all right, now who are you facing to lead off? You're facing number 99 in New York. <laughs> After you're like, I still got sleepy in my eyes. Like, I ain't even slept anything. And now i got to face Aaron Judge, who's a little – he's shorter than I am standing in the box. Yeah. Sure. Well, hopefully the well, schedule he, makers you, are a little bit nicer. Mound. He showed her than you on, on the mound. Come on. You got to give me something, man. <laughs> I'm six foot in my eyes. <laughs> Tyler Zuber, A-State baseball great, joining us here. 
in studio. Great to see you, buddy. Good yeah. luck this season. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. More to come on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Really enjoyed that visit with Tyler Zuber and certainly best of luck to him going into this season. Hopefully the rehab is going well and he's able to get on the field for those Arizona Diamondbacks very soon. Folks, this is one they missed out with this being an audio podcast instead of a video podcast. I didn't realize or forgotten if I knew how animated Tyler Zuber can get with facial expressions and motions while he's telling some of these stories in here. He really did. He had the phone up to his ear a lot. The air phone was in use quite a bit during that interview. But, uh, yeah, really, really loved hanging out with Tyler. Looking ahead this week, the A-State basketball team's back in action. The women begin a stretch of four in a row on the road. They'll be at Southern Miss Thursday at 6 as the women again look for their first Sunbelt Conference win of the year. And then they'll be in San Marcos two days later, a 2 o'clock tip time Saturday at Texas State. They'll get at least one conference win this week. Now, Southern Miss is coming here in a couple weeks when A-State gets back home. It's the next home game. I wish they played Southern Miss here first. We really get the first chance to play up the storylines here because Connor McNellis, one of the assistants for the A-State women's basketball team, is going to be squaring off against his mom, Joy Lee, the head coach at Southern Miss. Mom versus son coming up this week in Hattiesburg. That ought to be pretty neat. It is. That's cool. And then uh, the men are opening up a four-game homestand. And it starts Thursday night at 7 against Texas State, the two-time regular season defending champs. And then Saturday at 2, Southern Miss, first-ever Sunbelt meeting between the Red Wolves and Golden Eagles. Four in a row at home, yeah. you can. Uh, there's a ticket pack available to get you a lower-level seat to all four of these home games in the month of January if you want to get in on that. But, yeah, hopefully we can have some home-court advantage. It'd be nice here to get everybody kind of jump-started. Some football scheduling news coming out here in the past week. We don't know all the dates, but we do know who – the 2023 opponents are and we also know where the games will be played now really we knew most of this stuff before but we did not know who the two opponents from the east (laughs) would be we do now the red wolves will play a home game against coastal carolina and a road game in huntington west virginia at marshall well, a couple of things. Number one, internally, I'll, I'll I'll take you guys behind the scenes. I think somehow this information all made it out online, and then one of the schools in the league released their part of it once it got out online. And it I was Troy. We I don't, I don't know that the the Sun Belt intended for it to to get out when it did, but once it was anyway, they said, "Well, okay, how about everybody just put it out Thursday at ten? As for the information itself, let's go and say it. The old Red Wolves got him a pretty tough draw in the cross-divisional opponents. Yeah. You know, we were 
fully expecting Grayson McCall after he entered the transfer portal to be gone. Yes. And then he decides last week that, hey, I'm going to come back and wear the teal again. I'll be darned. That kid really does piss teal, as it turns out. (laughs) The three-time defending Sunbelt Player of the Year now. When you look at that home schedule, Memphis, Stony Brook, Coastal Carolina, the Cajuns, Southern Miss, and Texas State. Those are your six home games. And then, of course, the Red Wolves will open up the 23 season in Norman against Oklahoma. We make the return trip to UMass. Mentioned the Marshall game. We'll also be playing division contest against South Alabama, Troy, and ULM. So the schedule, you know, the non-conference part, you go Oklahoma, then back-to-back Memphis Stony Brook at home. Now, the UMass game is not as late as it was last year, but it's also not in a row with the non-conference. It's up in early October, I think. We had a good stretch, good long stretch, where the four non-conference games were the first four games. But when you mix in an independence, the odds of you playing four straight non-conference games to open up the season go way down because they're constantly having to schedule games they don't have that conference schedule to fall back on yeah and so uh that that's sort of gotten that well we'll see what happens you know in 2024 and beyond if if uh the schedule falls back that way because yeah we'd kind of gotten used to it and i i I sort of like that or non-conference and you know you got nothing but league play the rest of the way but uh that won't be the case this coming year and we'll see if we can get back to it moving forward all right that pretty much wraps it up you got anything well, you if you're listening to, to this, chest? no, not off my chest, but I'll just, again, in the, in the name of kind of making sure everybody's got some insider info or just kind of a heads up, if you're listening to this show, obviously, and you're still listening to it at this point in this edition, and you know, I consider you a great Arkansas State fan, and so I'll let you know two things. Be on the lookout this week for a couple of things. Number one, football season ticket renewals are coming out very soon okay and the ability to, get, to start getting football season tickets and there'll be some incentives you know in t- tied in with that speaking of which another thing that's gonna be coming soon is if you're a person that renewed your football season tickets last year before the early renewal deadline there's a long list of reasons why this is happening now but you've got a nifty little prize coming your way for meeting the renewal deadline and it should so should that have happened a long time ago yes but between staff turnover both in development and marketing and this and that and supply chain and first one thing and then another those renewal gifts are just now gotten all in jonesboro and getting shipped out if you like that gift when you get it i picked it out if you don't it was jerry scott <laughs> all right that's uh normally a safe way to go well, it's right on time here when these somebody's still winter time, cool weather. You, maybe you can put this gift to use. Thanks again to Tyler Zuber for coming in. Really enjoyed that visit. Who knows who we might have with us next week on our next edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.